If it's us or them, it's us for them. There's, uh, there's something about that line that uh, has struck me quite uh, profoundly over the last couple months. This is uh, a song written by Gunger. They came out with an album just a little bit ago, and this is one of the songs on that album. Um, if it's us or them, it's us for them. And there, there's something about this, this, these lyrics in these songs that really resonate for me and, and the gospel, the good news that Jesus proclaims, um, particularly in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what we call the four gospels in our Bible. And uh, last week we, t- we talked about we got everybody. And this question of who's everybody and who's we, and, uh, and we, we talked about the word uh, in the Bible election or being chosen. What does that mean? That God doesn't just elect and choose people and call people to himself uh, to save them, to go to heaven when they die, but he actually calls people to himself to be partners with him in what he's doing in the world. He calls people in his grace, he elects them and chooses them to be his hands, his feet, his voice to draw people to himself because he desires for every person, every man, woman, and child to be in a right relationship with him. So God is for people. God is uh, desperately wants to be in a relationship with people. But somehow we, we kind of lose track of this. We look through church, church history. If we look through probably your, your history and my history, we can lose sight of this idea. We can lose our way. Uh, and so this morning, the sermon title uh, is, uh, trust me, uh, I know a shortcut. It's really referring to the question, it's typically the wife that asks that before the man makes that statement, and it's, do you know where you're going? Oh, trust me, I know a shortcut. <laughs> trust me, I know where I'm going. Um, and sometimes we just, we live in this denial, it's like, yeah, trust me, I know where I'm going, and uh, in, our, in our heads... You know, it's like, oh, I don't really know where I'm going, but I'm just hoping that this takes me to where I'm hoping to go. I was on a trip to the island this past summer, Vancouver Island, and we're doing this mountain bike uh, ride with some friends. And, uh, and so we went to the bike shop, and they gave us this map. You know, I spent some good money on this map and just so I can know exactly where we're going. And we marked out this, this nice long ride, and it was you know, this epic, like it was going to be a whole day affair. Like, this is going to be awesome. And, uh, and so we get out there, and the first section we kind of knew, so we didn't have to check the map. Uh, and then we start getting into this uncharted territory that we hadn't been down before. Um, and so I'm like, oh, let me check the map. And I go and open my backpack, no map. Look at my pockets, no map. And then so we kind of have this brainstorming session. It's like, do you guys remember like where we're supposed to be going? You know? And I was like, well, I think there was like a trail that there's supposed to be left up here, or we go this way, that way. And uh, and so we kind of just put our heads together and tried to remember what it is, where the direction we were actually supposed to be going. And we made, you know, we came up to a junction, we made the right turn. We came to another one, we made the right turn. We were finding our way really, really well. And then we got to this one section. And it was like, there's, you know, there's, I remember there was this lake, and there was a lake on the map, and I know we were supposed to take one of these two, uh, two trails. 
And we went, uh, we went and looked at the one trail. It was like, there's no sign there. You know, there's a sign on this one. The, I remember the sign said mimers. It's like sketch. It's like in my mind's eye. I can see it. And so I'm like, it's got a sign. That must, be, that must be a good sign. And so let's take the one that has the sign. So we drop in to this trail where the sign was. And, uh, and the trail just starts to, like the incline just gets out of control. Uh, and it was kind of... I don't know how to describe it. This big, loose, chunky rock with like crevice. Uh, it was like it used to be this this channel for water uh, to to funnel down. Uh, and when you get going on a mountain bike and you get going too fast at too steep of an incline, it's actually really dangerous to hit your brakes. I don't know if you guys know this, but uh, more accidents happen because guys are you know cramming the brakes on their bike uh, than because they're going too fast. So uh, so once we got halfway down, I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is the wrong way. Uh, it looks like this has been uncharted territory for some years now. Uh, and, uh, and I'm at the front, and I'm a guy, and I'm like, well, obviously, I'm not going to be the first one to try and stop, and i got to just pound this out, and then it would be dangerous anyways if I tried to hit my brakes. Uh, and so I just, you know, I just go for it. And, uh, you know, I just you get that feeling where you're, like, completely out of control, and you know that this is going to be the most amazing moments of my life or one of the worst moments of my life. And it was the latter. Unfortunately, I, you know, I hit like this big drop, you know, maybe something in my head, it was like this big, but maybe it wasn't quite that big. Uh, but you're going steep and, and it just, I got launched off my bike, off this rock, uh, and like flew down the trail and like full, full tilt, full speed right into the side of a rock. Um, and I had a helmet on, but the helmet, it didn't hit any of the helmet, it just hit all face. <laughs> all face. I guess that's why guys wear face helmets, note to self. And, uh, and so my buddies behind me, they're like, you know, are you okay? Are you okay? And I'm like, and when I hit the rock, my ear was like squealing, like there's this ringing in my ear, and, and everything felt weird, and uh, my, my friend John comes up to me and he looks at me and he's like, eh, that, <laughs> if you're a friend who's coming on the scene with your other friend, don't give him that look, because I was like, then I, I, I just started screaming like a little girl, I was like, what's wrong, what's wrong? <laughs> um, and there's blood that was coming out of my ear, and I don't know much about, you know, biology, but I know that that's not a good thing when blood's coming out of your ear. And uh, so the guys, we kind of made our way down the mountain, and he brought me to the ER, and, uh, and they checked me out, and even though my face was like swollen and there was blood out of my ear, it was like, everything was good. I got cut inside my ear, and I was just swollen up, and, um, and I, there's a, honestly, there's a part of me that was a little disappointed, because I was like, this story is not nearly as epic as it would have been if I would have broke something, but <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take it. <clears throat> And there's so many stories in my life where it's like, no, I know, I'm pretty sure this is where we're going to go. And then it just, it doesn't end well. And, and it's easy to kind of stick your heels in and be like, no, trust me, this is the way we should go. And we stick our heels in. And then it almost gets even worse because you got this pride that kind of marries with I'm lost and, you know, all the wives in the room. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, the pride and the lostness, it just makes for this terrible combination because instead of just admitting, hey, we're lost, let's turn around, let's hit the brakes, let's go back, um, it's like, no, 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 trust me, this is, we're going to go this way. Uh, 
I feel that there's many times in my personal history, in church history, uh, where the church really thinks they know where they're going, really thinks that the things they're all about are the things they ought to be about, only to look back in retrospect and be like, I think we actually missed it. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, is where are we going? And maybe it, you know, to give away my whole sermon right off the top is to whom are we going? And if we were in Sunday school, you'd always say, Jesus, because that's always the right answer in church, right? And it's true, so that's it. You guys can go. Uh, you know, it's like that, you know, what is four legs? It's man's best friend, rhymes with log, and it barks, and it's... You know, the kid's like, I feel like the answer's supposed to be a dog, but I just know it has to be Jesus, because we're, <laughs> we're in church. <clears throat> so it is the answer. I'm, I'm giving it away right from the, from the get-go, is, is sometimes what we do becomes so much more than Jesus. It becomes about so many other things. We get going down so many other trails or routes, and we're just convinced that this is actually where we should be going. And the main metaphor I kind of want to use to talk about this, this morning is fence versus wells. Everybody say fence. fence. Say well. And I want to propose to you this morning that Jesus is much more like a well uh, than a fence. But we tend to love to put up fences. You know, I got an uncle, he's a, he's a cattle farmer. And so sometimes when we go back and visit my hometown in Manitoba, we bring the boys and we go visit the farm and we see the cattle. And we've gone on a couple of, you know, cool adventures where the cow gets out of the fence and we got to chase them down on the dirt road and see my uncle in action and trying to, you know, stop the cow and turn him around and guide him back into the fence and so that we can make sure that he's safe and he's inside the lines that he's supposed to be inside and that we can keep the other, you know, animals out that aren't supposed to be in the field, in the fenced area. And so we could draw, we could think of a fence like a fence, you know, like a circle. And it becomes, the idea becomes about getting inside of the line, getting inside of the fence. But did you know that there's cattle farmers in the world that they don't build fences? Especially if they have a large area of land and they need to control their cattle, they need to keep track of their cattle. What they do is they go and they build a well in the middle of their property and this well becomes this, this life-giving, uh, thirst-quenching thing for the animals, and they know where it is that the animals are all drawn to the well. And so the farmer actually doesn't cons concern himself with controlling what's coming in, what's going out, as much as he concerns himself with the animals understanding where their source of life is. And Jesus is like a well. In fact, we're going to read a, a story this morning together where Jesus refers to himself in this way. You can turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. And the scriptures will be on the screen as well. Um, I'm reading out of the NIV version. Uh, I know that 
the, some of you may have the NLT version, so if it's too confusing, just follow on the screen. But um, let, we're going to read this together. And I want to, I just want to simply point out, you know, how Jesus is more like a well than he is like a fence. Uh, and how religion, and when I use the word religion this morning, I'm talking about the ways that the institutions and structures that man sets up to try and uh, honor God, get close to God in our lives, and how religion often functions like a fence. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Uh, that word had, it's the, it's the Greek word day, which means it, was nece- it, it is necessary. It, it must happen. And it occurs, it, it occurs three times in this passage, and so I'm going to draw your attention to it in, in each, each time, uh, that it was necessary, Jesus must, he had to go through Samaria. But if you look on a map, uh, there was multiple ways for Jesus to go to Samaria. And so what was it that made Jesus, that made John the gospel writer say that Jesus had to go to Samaria? And, uh, and I believe that it was the mission that God had Jesus on that told him it was necessary that he must go this way. Because even though that was not the destination, it was, the, it was a point that God had something specifically that Jesus was to do. So he had to go through Samaria. It was necessary. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. So that, that line, it was about noon, is John's way of telling us that it was really hot. This is in the heat of the day. People were tired. People did not go to the well in the heat of the day. This was outside of the normal practice of the people. Um, So people typically wouldn't be at a well at this time. They would go get the water at cooler times of day. Uh, But this is hot at this point. But there was a Samaritan woman there also. So when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? John gives us some commentary. He says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. FYI. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and this well is deep. And this well, this specific well is actually still very deep. It's over 100 feet deep even to this day. Uh, you have nothing to draw sorry, with, and the well, well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And that word eternal life, and I've mentioned this before, but it, it's quantitative life and also, also qualitative life. It's, it's also today the type of life that God wants to give 
and invade our lives with today, uh, but also that he wants us to live in that life forever. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You were right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Before I keep going, just a couple of comments here. Um, in this time, the, the woman was basically at the mercy of the husband. You know, if a husband wanted to divorce her, um, that was his right to do so. Um, particularly if she was, uh, you know, not living up to religious code. And the assumption here in the story is that this woman is, um, obviously at this point, because she's living with someone that's not her husband, has been, is sexually unfaithful. And the Samaritans, even though they weren't Jews, were, were very strict in their moral policy and their religious law uh, when it came to sexual conduct. And this actually also helps explain why she came to the well at noon by herself, because uh, typically women do not, would not go to the well by themselves. This doesn't happen. So she goes by herself, which indicates that she was an outcast to her Samaritan community. Uh, we know that she has some, some moral uh, things that have been highlighted in her life that probably made her an outcast. And Jesus is engaging with this woman. Um, so continuing in verse 19 here. Uh, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestor worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Jews. Yet a time is coming, and it has now come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. Uh, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us that Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am, I am he. So there's a lot going on in this passage. And just excuse me, I'm going to jump over the, all over the place a little bit here. Um, I mentioned this word day, right? Jesus must go through Jerusalem because God had an appointment there for him with this woman. So he goes through Jerusalem and as he's talking with this woman, the other time that the woman uses the same word is in verse 29. She says, our ancestors worship um, on this mount, but you Jews claim the place where we must worship. You guys say it is necessary, it is a must-do thing to worship on the uh, Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And we say that we must worship, it's the only way to do it, on this uh, mountain here. And then the third time this word is used is in verse 24 when it says God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. If there's anything necessary, if there's anything that we must do, Jesus is saying this is it. And so as we 
you know, just contemplate this passage, I want you to observe the fences or the boundaries, the barriers that Jesus is actually breaking through as he is having this conversation with this woman. The, the Samaritans and the Jews disagree on how to interpret the Torah, the first five books of our Bible. It's, it was their scriptures at the time. The, the Samaritans rejected the prophets, the later books that we have in our Old Testament, but they both held to a high authority of scripture on the first five books of the Bible. They disagreed on how to interpret that. They disagreed on the emphasis of the Torah, on the details of the Torah. And Jesus, well, what I love about this is that Jesus actually doesn't back down from saying that I'm right and you're wrong. You know, you can see that at the, at the end of the, uh, the passage here where he says, you, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. By the way, this is actually the correct understanding, but here's the main point. This is what must, this is what is necessary. Um, they, so they disagreed on the Torah. They had different traditions. You, you can hear this when they're talking about the mountains. Um, the mountains that the woman's referring to is the Mount Gerizim, and this was sacred to the Samaritans, and 90% of Samaritans actually still live within the vicinity of this mountain. Uh, they considered it the location where Abraham nearly sacrificed Isaac, a story in Genesis that we have. And... Uh, and so what happened is, is the, the Jews and Samaritans were, uh, they were taken away uh, by the Babylonian conquest. And then when they came back, when Persia got into rule around 540 BC, they, they built their own temples. And the Samaritans claimed that this mountain was actually the holy mountain, the sacred mountain. And so they had traditions that were built on these sacred spaces these mountains, they, they believe that God dwelt in these places in a unique way that he didn't dwell anywhere else in the world. So J Jesus is actually breaking down the fence, the barrier of tradition. And I'm not saying that tradition is bad, but maybe, maybe a way to think about tradition is this way. Imagine Bob and Sue. Um, I don't think, do we have any Bob and Sues here? Uh, that are married. This isn't a real story. This is a make-believe story. Bob and Sue, um, in case there is a Bob and Sue. So I'm not talking about them. Uh, but Bob's wife, Sue, kind of challenged him and said, you know what? Our relationship is getting really dry. You know, the romance, that, you know, that thing, that spark that we used to have, it's gone. And what's going on with you, Bob? You know, Bob agreed with Sue you know, he, he committed to himself. He said, you know what, I'm going to try and be the man, the husband that I always wanted to be. And I realized that I'm, I'm falling short. So one Tuesday, a doorbell rang. And so Sue goes to open the doorbell, or door, sorry. She opened the doorbell and fixed the doorbell. And then after she fixed it, <laughs> she rang it again just to make sure it was working. And then she opened the door. And it was Maureen. It was Maureen, their babysitter. Anytime they need a babysitter, they got Maureen to come over and babysit. Um, and so she says, uh, you know, Mr. Mr. Prunebottom, that was her last name, Mr. Prunebottom <laughs> has uh, asked me to come and babysit tonight. She's like, really? She didn't know anything about what was going on. So Bob came and explained to her that they were going to go out for a date tonight, just the two of them. 
it's used as well. This is great. Um, I didn't expect this. So he says, why don't you go upstairs and get on that, you know, that red dress that you just looked smoking hot in, and, uh, and I'm going to take you out on the town. And so that's what they did. She got changed, and they pulled into a parking lot at this fancy little Italian restaurant, and they walked in front of the door, and they were greeted by a server. And the server says, You're Mr. Prunebottom, your table is ready. There's a candlelit table for two in the back of the restaurant, this nice secluded area, romantic. So Sue found a card on her place with the name on it. She opened it up. And it wasn't just a Hallmark card, but it was like one of those handwritten cards that, you know, Bob wrote from his heart in. And she read it. You know, she, she felt emotion and, and the, that Bob had put in this, this thought to the night. And then they had this engaging conversation about, you know, some things that they normally don't get a chance to talk about. Dessert came, and then when dessert came, Bob reached under the table, and he pulled out a rose for her. It was her favorite flower. And he, just, he was just ticking all the right boxes. And, uh, and as, as he gave her the flower, she was moved to tears. And that week was one of the most wonderful weeks of the married life. You know, Bob actually felt really good about himself. He's like, you know what? I feel like I'm being the type of man in this relationship that I've always wanted to be. A week later, the doorbell rings. It's Maureen. And Maureen says, Bob asked me to come and... I'm going to babysit for you again tonight. She's like, well, two weeks in a row. I could get used to this. So Bob says to her, you know, would you mind going upstairs? You know that red dress that you look smoking hot in? Go put on that dress. She's like, okay, I wore that one last week, but, you know, luckily I washed it, and well, I can like wear that one again. And then they, uh, they pull into the restaurant parking lot, and it was this little Italian restaurant, and she says, this looks awfully like, a, you know, awfully similar to the place we were at last week, and it was, and they open the door, you know, the server greets them, your table's ready for you, and they go to the back of the restaurant, and, uh, you know, she, Sue felt like this was a little bit odd, that they were kind of doing the exact same thing they did last week, and she wanted to give Bob the benefit of the doubt, you know, at least he's trying, you know, can't give him creativity points this week, but, you know, maybe in the future he'll... He'll do a little bit better. Um, and then as they're having this conversation, she realizes that Bob's beginning to manipulate the conversation uh, to cover the exact same ground they covered last week. She's getting quite irritated and frustrated. Um, she, he gives her the... At her place setting was this card. She opens the card, and it was word for word the exact words that Bob wrote the week before. You know, she was quite hurt, actually. The words that were once so life-giving all of a sudden became a little bit lifeless. And then Bob pulls out a rose for her and gives her a rose. You know, she started welling up with tears, but these were a different type of tears this week. A week later, Tuesday night rings, or Tuesday night comes, doorbell rings, it's Maureen again, and they go through the exact same routine again. Four weeks later, they go through the exact same routine again. And if you were to go and ask Bob how his marriage is doing, he would probably smile with a sense of accomplishment and say, you know, I romance my wife religiously. 
And if you were to ask Sue how it was going, she would give you a different take, and she might burst into tears and tell you that she feels trapped and imprisoned by this loveless relationship, even though Bob means well. But he doesn't have a clue as to what the relationship is all about. And I'm left wondering if sometimes God feels this way about us, that we go through these motions, but is disconnected from our heart, is disconnected from our emotion. It's not really about intimacy, but it's as much about doing what we feel like we ought to do. And this illustrates, I think, why Jesus always, when he's dealing with people, points them back to the heart. He, he doesn't put emphasis on religious behavior. He's concerned about the heart. If the heart is right, the loving actions in a relationship follow. If my marriage is healthy, I do things for my wife because I love her, not because I feel like I'm supposed to, to be a good husband. If, we, if we're functioning in these relationships and we're just doing things because we have to, but it's not out of a place of intimacy, it's a religious relationship. And I'm not, I'm not trying to get down on routine and tradition because those things can be very, very valuable and important for people that are trying to draw close to God, but that's the point if they're trying to draw close to God. As we think in John 4, other fences that Jesus is crossing... There's this Jew-Gentile barrier, Jew-Samaritan. We've chatted about that a little bit. Um, There's this man-woman barrier, fence. At this time, men did not speak to women in public. They wouldn't even speak to their own wives in public. Never mind somebody else's wife. Never mind somebody else from a different religious association. Uh, Samaritans were seen as half-breeds because in their past, you can see this in 2 Kings 17, the Jews intermarried with some other cultures. And those people became Samaritans, and they were half-breeds, both um, you know, ethnically, uh, but also religiously. They kind of mixed in multiple ways. And so there was all of these barriers that Jesus, just in engaging with this woman, he crosses. Not to mention, if you go back through in Genesis 24 and Exodus 2 and Genesis, I think, 27, you'll see that the well in Scripture was this um, bef- let's just say before eHarmony, there was wells. Um, it, it's where like all these great couples of faith met each other, and they got married, and uh, it, it's, it's a common thing that happens throughout the Bible. And here Jesus is talking to this woman, and people, if they saw him, would be like, what is going on? Is this Isaac Rebecca all over again? Like, is this, is this a thing? And that's why the disciples come back, and you know, the, if you keep reading through John 4, you see the inward commentary there. You know, for them, they're like, what? You know, is Jesus hitting on this Samaritan girl? Um, and so Jesus doesn't let these things stop him from pursuing her and engaging in conversation with her. He's blowing over the fences, the boundaries, the barriers of temple, of sacred space. These ideas that were core to any Jew, that Jesus dwells uniquely in the temple. And Jesus is saying, well, you know what, actually, you know, it's not, it's not really that way, that God's doing a new thing. Morality. You know, we talked about she has five husbands. She's living with a man who's not her husband. And Jesus, I, I just find interesting 
does not does not get her to change in order to become acceptable to him. The primary thing that Jesus is inviting her to is himself. Woman, don't you know that I have living water? If you drink from this well, you'll never grow thirsty. And I know that Jesus knows that if the woman drinks from this well, it actually impacts her whole life. These are the fences that are happening here in the story. And, and what happens with fences is that they become the point. And so regardless of where people are, they are associated. Sorry, can you see these dots? Is that better? These aren't wells. I should, I should you know, this, just hang on a second. I got another, I got another color here. This is the well. All right. So people get associated with whether they're in or outside of that fence marker. What do you believe about this mountain or this mountain? What do you believe about the Samaritans and the Jews? What do you believe about men and women? How do you understand the Torah? Because if, if we can engage in this conversation, then I could figure out if you're outside or inside if you're in or you're out. But I think history shows us that if it's us or them, it becomes us for them. That if we're actually wanting to love people, these markers don't actually become that helpful at the end of the day. What are our fences today? Right beliefs, right living, what you drink, addictions, political allegiances maybe, sexual orientation, reading the Bible every day, getting baptized, attending church. We just finished a series on giving and generosity, tithing, income brackets. I don't know, we can keep going. You know, almost anything can become a fence. And, and I'm not saying that these things are not important because they are absolutely important. Just like it's absolutely important that you love your spouse, that you respond to their needs, that you invest in your relationship. But in the same way that when those things become detached from the main point, they become lifeless and they actually bring death. And so what happens when a fence becomes the point is we just get worried about getting people inside the fence, on our side of the fence, that think like us, that talk like us, you know, that interpret like us, that spend time like us, that view money the same as us, that have the same values as us, and we forget that it's actually not about us at all, but it's about Jesus. Or maybe another way to ask is, you know, beyond what are our fences is, who are our Samaritans? Liberals, conservatives, rich people, poor people, politicians, police officers, criminals, lawyers, physically challenged people, physically superior people, mentally challenged people, mentally superior people, truck drivers, ca taxi drivers, slow drivers, tailgaters, <laughs> artists, scientists, socialists, capitalists, welfare recipients, 
public servants, telemarketers, televangelists, feminists, traditionalists, homemakers, homewreckers, homosexuals, heterosexuals, transsexuals, metrosexuals, students, teachers, street people, salespeople, religious people, atheists, blacks, whites, reds, yellows, blondes, brunettes, Jews, Arabs, men, women, adults, children, adult children, childish adults, Therapists, people who are in therapy, people who should be in therapy, people who put you and I in therapy, attractive people, ugly people, famous people, family members, fat people, skinny people, dog people, cat people, vegetarian omnivores, conformists, anarchists, hipsters, hippies, virgins, not so virgins, people who drink, people who don't drink, people who drive you to drink people who like country music. <laughs> I, I'm not sure those last two categories are that different, actually. <clears throat> so really all I'm saying is it's about Jesus. It's always been about Jesus, and it needs to be about Jesus. I, I, I was um, having... We were out trick-or-treating last night with our kids, and then our neighbors invited us over. Uh, they were having a fireplace in their, in their driveway, and so there was a few neighbors that were sitting around, hanging out at the fireplace, and like, hey, why don't you come and hang out? And uh, so I went there, and we hung out for quite a while, and my friend Steve, who I've been getting to know quite well, uh, you know, he always asks me these questions about church, and he says, you know, he says so what are you preaching on tomorrow, Matt? Uh, we had some neighbors there that I'd only met, you know, once, uh, maybe twice. I'm like, oh, okay. I said, hmm, and he, was, he just kept digging. I said, well, you know, I'm talking about how religion doesn't really work. <laughs> and he says, amen. He's like, I can get behind that. He's like, that's something. He's like, that's something that I agree with. I said, yeah, but... I said, but the thing is that I'm, a, I'm, I'm just a Jesus guy. I was like, I think it's all about Jesus. And, you know, people just have a, a tendency to create institution and religion and all these, all these things that become the main thing. And I said, but none of it's the main thing. You know, Jesus is the main thing. Um, and I can see their wheels turning. I'm not sure if I'll get invited back for the fireside next year, but uh, but they're like you, you know, they were they're like, what kind of church do you go to, you know? And they asked me questions about the church, and I was like, we meet in a movie theater, like movie theater, and they asked me, I was like, do you use a pulpit? And I said, well, I actually use tires. <laughs> it's like you use tires. <clears throat> you know, you can hear you can hear the conversation. They're trying to figure out what the fence is, like what it. You know, what are you about? Like, how, how do I, I, I want to put you in this in or out. You know, are you different than me? Are we the same? Are we, and I'm just like, I'm not, it, it's not about that. I'm like, it's, it's actually about Jesus. And I think, and I said, you know what, well, buddy, you know, in, in the Middle East, you know, I can see what all this religion does and it makes people crazy and all this stuff happens. And I, I said, yeah, that's when religion gets separated from the actual essence of who God is. Um, and if we come back to the heart of things, then it changes who we are. It's not about behavior management. It's actually becoming more like Jesus. 
So let me conclude here with a couple of questions that, you know, we don't have time to do Q&A, but if we were to do Q&A, I was thinking, what are some things that people might be asking in their heads about what I'm saying? You know, isn't it important how people live? Isn't it important what we believe? And the answer is absolutely. Jesus never backs down on how people ought to live. Paul, who writes a good chunk of the New Testament after Jesus, never backs down on how people ought to live. And belief and theology and how we interact with God, all these things are actually very important. They're important to me. But they're not the main thing. And Jesus actually also tells us that it's not our job to judge, it's our job to love. <clears throat> Jesus even said, you can look in John 3, 17, John 12, 47, that he doesn't even see it as his job to judge. And it is clear that there's a judge and there's a time where, where those things get sorted out, but that time's not now and it's not our job to figure it all out. We don't need to play the role of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit comes and it convicts people of sin and it as I think people move closer to Jesus, they realize what Jesus is like, how he lives, what he values, what he loves, and we actually become more like him, and that has a result in how we live and our behaviors. Jesus also talks about in Matthew 13 that this is a time where we let wheat and weeds grow together. What does that mean? It means that it's going to be messy. You know, the nice thing about fences, it's like nice and clean, who's in and who's out. But when it becomes about wells, it gets a little messy. And the question becomes less about, you know, are they in or are they out of the fence, and more about what direction are they going? Are people moving away from Jesus or towards Jesus? Our job as people that want to partner with God and what he's doing in this world is to move them closer to Jesus. My hope is in my conversation last night with my neighbors that I just tore down some religious barriers and stuff that they might have had and said, you know, it's all about Jesus. I want to move them one step towards him. We didn't get into conversations about, you know, sin management or theology or atonement theory. It's like at the end of the day, the most important thing is that they move towards Jesus. You know, you might say, well, you're talking a lot about Jesus. Isn't that exclusive? Isn't, Je isn't Jesus exclusive if it's all about him? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And uh, I was reading in this book called End of Religion by Bruxy Cavey a couple weeks ago, and I love what he said about this. He said, when people ask that question, they're actually asking it from the wrong perspective. They're, they're asking that from our perspective to God. But if you actually turn it around, you look at it from God to us, and we go back to last week, we believe that God wants all people to come into relationship with him, every person but that the Bible's true when it says that we're actually are unable to do that because of sin. And so we're like in this pit that we cannot get out of ourselves. That's the story of Scripture. And that God throws a rope down for every single person in the world to get out of the pit. And sometimes like people say, no, I don't like the rope. I feel like that's too exclusive. I'm going to wait for something else. But Jesus said, no, I love you. I love all people. I want to be in a relationship with all people. And this is inclusive. And this is the way to me. Jesus is the way.
So maybe some of you are thinking, well, if, if I take your thinking too far, then maybe are you saying that all religions could lead to God? And my answer is no, because no religion leads to God. Jesus leads to God. I believe there's value in Christianity because it close, it, it's the religion that most closely reveals who Jesus actually is. But it's possible for people to be religious and to go through the Christian motions and never have a relationship with Jesus. Ultimately, at the end of the day, what leads to God is God, which is Jesus, God with flesh on, saying, come on. So as we close, I think, basically, uh, us as a church, as individuals working together to follow Jesus together, thinking about where God's bringing us, you know, it sounds so simple, but it does have to be about Jesus. Uh, I think that there's probably fences in our lives that we've set up that actually become barriers in your life of bringing people to Jesus. There's things that you think are a really, really, really big deal. And they might be important. But if you're going to make that fence the point, it actually becomes a barrier to bringing people to Jesus. In the story in John 4, Jesus doesn't really focus on these fences or these barriers. He just invites the woman to the well. And so I just want to close it simply praying this morning. And I'm going to invite God and the Spirit to reveal to you if there's places in your life, either personally, that you've created fences, um, that He's actually giving you the freedom to look beyond those things to Him and think more about which direction you're moving. If there's people in your life that you've realized over the last couple of weeks that God is just crazy about, that He loves, that He sent His Son to die for them because He wants a relationship with them so badly, and He sent you to love on them, and you went and set up a bunch of fences. And maybe He's inviting you to actually kick down those fences and rethink what it might look like to draw that person to the well. Let's pray. God, we love you. We want to love you. And sometimes we we fall into treating this relationship so religiously that we lose your heart. And we just confess and acknowledge this morning that you know, we have a tendency as people to create all these barriers because it, feel, it makes us feel secure. It makes us feel like we know who we are, who we belong to, who they are. But Lord, I pray that we would feel secure in you, that we would feel secure in our relationship with you, in our identity as your sons and daughters. And, uh, and Lord, that you would show us areas that we've actually placed identity in these markers that 
um, at the end of the day, aren't being that helpful to drawing people towards you. Lord, I pray that you would uh, even highlight people in our lives that, uh, that you want us to love on, that you want us to be, uh, to give that invitation to this living water, this, this water that quenches our thirst, this water that, you know, shapes the way people live, the way people think, the way people interact. Because God, we do believe that you care about how we live, we care about how, you, how we act, how we interact with one another, what we're doing in this world, but you want our response to be one uh, out of relationship, not out of religion. So I pray that that balance would become clear to us uh, even this morning. And Lord, I, I want to pray particularly for those people this morning who had religious upbringings that were told that they weren't good enough, that they didn't talk the right way, they didn't dress the right way, they didn't, you know, think the right way. And Lord, that they mistake, they've mistaken through those conversations the fence for the well. And Lord, I pray that you would go into their past and that you would show them that you were actually inviting them the whole time to come to the well. That some good intentioned people that loved you actually just mistaken the fence for the well and they imposed that on them. Uh, but Lord, you want to free them from that this morning. And so we just ask that you would break that off of them in the name of Jesus, Lord, that the things that, that made them feel not good enough to be your kid in the past, uh, Lord, that that doesn't hold power over them anymore. And Lord, I feel the need to just acknowledge that you love your church. Uh, Lord, even as I spoke this morning, I'm, you know, traditions and, and be, you know, how we live and how we honor you, how we worship together, um, you know, these things are lovely to you when they're done to you and for you. And so, God, we thank you that you love your church. We, we thank you that you love us even when we take a wrong turn, even when we focus on some wrong things sometimes. And, uh, you know, we go over our, our handlebars and said, you know what, I should have not dug my heels in so much and, and just acknowledge that we should have gone a different way. So we thank you that you have grace and forgiveness for us. We thank you that you equip us with grace and forgiveness for others. Um, and, Lord, more than anything, we want you to be the main thing. We want our lives to be oriented around you. We want our church to be oriented around you. We want everything we do to move us closer to you. And we believe that as we move closer to you, as we become more like you, that we're going to change the world around us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys for coming. Um, next week we have a guest speaker, and so we'll, we'll invite you back for a one-off Sunday, and, uh, and then we'll pick up this, the third talk in this series the following week.